right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. We have a great chat ahead of the ANA Inspiration this coming week with former champion Pernilla Lindbergh. Pernilla is from Sweden, and she won, if you remember, in the eight-hole playoff against Jennifer Song and MB Park three years ago now. That was uh, I remember that, that crazy wild playoff that went all the way into Monday. We talk a lot about that, a lot about what makes the ANA special, her career, all kinds of things. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Walker Trolley's. So you've heard us talk a lot about these push carts. You see them in all of our videos. We invest. We are so in on this product that we actually invested in Walker trolleys ourselves. No laying up as a business, invested in these guys. Absolutely love everything they're about. They've got the new Walker trolley Cape 1.5. It is continuing on the success of the original Cape model. Harkens back to a more classic style with an ample use of modern technology. Kind of just looks like, I get a lot of compliments on it. It looks like you're pushing a stroller out there. It looks like a, a luxury, very nice, it is a very nice push cart. That's what that's what they're in for. A new buckle system accommodates a larger variety of bags. They got a new drainage feature in the lower storage accessory to keep the water out on rainy days. It's, it's really a very, very high quality product. And like its predecessor, the Cape 1.5 continues to utilize premium materials. It's got wax canvas, leather, and anodized aluminum. I was terrified to use that word. Uh, uh, it creates it's a trolley that's built to last, right? It is an investment. You're investing in something that's going to last you many, many, many years. You can pre-order the Cape 1.5 now at walkertrolleys.com for delivery in late April. The demand has been incredibly high, so don't delay in owning the official push cart of the push cart mafia and the one built for walking the game. So go to walkertrolleys.com, check out the new Cape 1.5, and let's get to Pernilla Lindbergh. Okay, I hope I say it right. It doesn't look too difficult to pronounce, but Bolnas, Sweden, does that sound right? That's that's pretty good. Okay. Yes. I don't have the quite the Swedish, you know, tongue if you will, but all right. So, is Bolnas, Sweden, a place I've never heard of? Is it a golf hub? I I what I want to get down to is understanding why Sweden punches above its weight uh, like it does in the golf world. It's not a great golf climate, not a big population, yet we hear a lot about Swedish golf. Tell me about Bolnas. Yeah, so uh, exactly. We do produce a lot of uh, good golfers, but they for sure don't come out of Balness normally. I can tell you that. The uh, the pop population of Balness is like city center is about 10,000 people. The whole county is about 25,000 people. We are located about three hours north of Stockholm, which also means we're about a 10-hour drive south of the arctic circle and that kind of just gives you an idea that the summers are not very long and the winters are pretty rough and that means the golf season is short <laughs> is there a big market for indoor golf and practice then i mean i i just struggle so much to understand how people from cold climates you know are so successful in pro golf yeah so when i grew up no we did not have any fancy indoor facilities i mean yes i would be hitting balls into a net that was probably a you know, couple of yards in front of me. But obviously, if you grew up in the southern part of Sweden, uh, the golf season was a bit longer. Uh, you probably had a chance to practice a bit more. But for me, it was golf was just something I did in the summer and I would ski in the winter. And 
I mean, that, that's just the way I was brought up. But I also think that actually, if you look at Swedes, we might not come out super young and be very good, but we tend to have pretty long careers. And I think that's just because we were brought up being, you know, much more all round athletic and just have a had kind of a good balance in life from an early age where golf wasn't the only thing we knew or the only thing we did. Hmm. So when you say skiing, I assume you, uh, just the beginner slopes and the intermediate slopes, right? That's uh, just leisurely skiing. <laughs> I know about your background. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> no, I, I was quite competitive. So I did um, all, all different disciplines, uh, slalom, giant slalom, super G, downhill. So I would throw myself down the, the slopes, uh, yeah, as fast as I could. And uh, I did that. I think I stood on a pair of skis for the first time when I was two and a half years old. And uh, that's, I never, you know, I never looked back. That was just uh, what I loved doing in the winter. And my parents were not big skiers, but they bought a ski house up in the mountains when I was I think two years old. Uh, so we would just go up there, you know, spend long weekends and a lot of time there in the winter. But my family, they were really just golf uh, fanatics. Uh, so when I when I was 16 and I chose kind of to go all in on golf over skiing, I have to say that I think mom was happy that she didn't have to worry about me hurting myself on the ski slopes anymore. And dad, who absolutely loves his golf i think uh, he was very happy to hear that decision too I, I, it's amazing how many stories you know about a, a golfer being injured start with so i was skiing you know blah 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 and, and well how do, how does competitive skiing help shape you a, as a professional golfer is there any physical you know you know strengths that come with skiing i imagine it's it's a lot of leg strength or whatnot that comes with that do you see any direct translation into how that helps you with a golf swing Oh, absolutely. When I was younger, every golf coach who ever watched me swing, they always said that, you know, my strong legs uh, helped me a lot in my golf swing balance and uh, just uh, that strong base. And then obviously, it's a long time ago now that I gave up skiing. So I probably lost some of my leg strength compared to then. But uh, no, that's that was always it helped me out when I was younger, I for sure hit the ball farther than I would have done if it wasn't for skiing back then. But then I remember too, as a competitor, I was very, I was a very different competitor in skiing versus golf. In skiing, I was so nervous. I thought I was going to throw up before every race. And in golf, I was so much more calm. I guess that kind of probably has to do with that you're risking your life a little bit more too than when you throw yourself down the ski slope on the golf course. Uh, but it was, I remember I always kind of reflected on that. It was so interesting to see how like two different sides of me came out in the two different sports. Hmm, that is interesting. Cause I always, I associate golf with more nerves and, you know, just cause it's so quiet and it's just a very different atmosphere than skiing. But that makes a lot of sense though, when you talk about <laughs> risking your life doing it as well. But I, I could ask you who the, who your big inspiration would be in golf, but I think we would all know the answer to what, what that would be. But can you what kind of, what was the wave like in Sweden after Annika Sorensen kind of took over the, not kind of did take over the LPGA tour did it did golf just become extremely popular was it extremely popular before that what do you remember about that time period Yeah I think golf was already really popular and um, you know when I grew up we golf was 
it's it's a big sport in the summer in the summer half of the year in Sweden. We have a lot of golfers, a lot of golf courses. So I guess the sad thing to say is when I grew up, we didn't have much LPGA coverage on TV, even when Annika was dominating, you know, and if we did, it was in the middle of the night. So I don't really remember, you know, feeling that Annika effect necessarily. Yes, I would wake up on Monday morning and like read about it in the news, uh, but like I didn't really get a stronger bond than that. But I guess the one thing was just having that one person where it's like, oh, she managed to do that coming out of Sweden. Okay, that means that like I can do it too. And all these other girls that I'm playing with, like one of us might be able to do exactly what she has done. So, I mean, it was nice to have that, but it's kind of sad to say that I didn't get to watch much of it. (laughs) That's interesting though, that you felt like that, you know, your country was represented on the world stage and that had a, an effect in terms of belief for you. I think that, you know, even if you weren't able to watch it, that I think that speaks to the influence. And so what, what was your experience in the States before going to Oklahoma State? And I'm, I'm asking that in terms of what was the transition like from Sweden to Stillwater, Oklahoma? Because I imagine there's a bit of culture shock there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I had been to the U.S. a few times. Uh, like I came on vacation when I was four years old and went to Disney. So I don't remember any of that. And then I came, uh, I played a couple of junior events, uh, like one in Tennessee, one in Arizona, but then that was about it. So I really went by what a lot of the older Swedish players were saying. And for some reason, we have had a Swedish pipeline straight to Oklahoma with uh, with golfers uh, heading to Oklahoma State. And I knew they had all loved it and kind of trusted their word. And then I went on a visit and saw the practice facilities, the golf course, Karsten Creek, and it sold me. Um, and uh, But yes, uh, for me to, you know, walk to class and just see big pickup trucks everywhere and big belt buckles and cowboy hats, that was something I'd never <laughs> seen before. <laughs> I would imagine that's, that's still shocking to me sometimes, and I'm from this country. But So what was, what was your path then to the, to the LPGA Tour? You've been out there for a long time now. Uh, but I'm wondering, just kind of give us some background on how you uh, how you made it to the LPGA Tour. Yeah, so I came over to Oklahoma State and spent four years there, graduated and got my degree. And back then, uh, they still had separate Q schools for the Symmetra Tour and the LPGA Tour. Uh, so what I did my senior year, I went to the Symmetra Tour Q school in the fall and finished second. So I got my status out there. But the nice thing was I didn't have to turn pro right away to to get my card. So I stayed through the spring semester, played NCAAs. And the week after NCAAs, went out on the Symmetra tour and did 10 events that summer uh, through the status that I had earned that previous fall. And played good enough in those 10 events to go straight into final stage of Q school, LPJ Q school, and then finish top 20 there on my first attempt. So that was December of 2009 and 2010 was my rookie year. And I think I finished 103 on the money list, my rookie year and top 100 keeps keep their full card. So I went back to Q school again which I would have had decent conditional status even if I didn't, but I knew by going back to Q school that I had at least a chance of improving it. Finished top 20 again and never been back there since. <laughs> hmm. 
we're gonna this this all kind of culminates into you obviously winning the ANA inspiration a couple of years ago, and we're I don't, I don't, we're not gonna skip past everything on that path. But I I want to know you're you're 34 now, I believe. Do you feel like one of the older players on the LPGA tour? And you mentioned kind of you know the Swedish players are kind of maybe have a, a later path to you know professionalism in golf for a variety of reasons, and the LPGA tour seems to be trending younger, 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 younger. Uh, so I'm just I'm I'm curious, do you feel like kind of a veteran on the LPGA tour at this point? I mean, yes and no. I, I've, I've had, I had this discussion with someone not that long ago and it's kind of funny because obviously I've been doing exactly the same thing for the last, yeah, this is my 12th year on tour now. So I don't really, in one way, I don't feel much older than when I came out here. So in that way, I'm like, no, I don't feel that old. But then, yeah, when, then it's like, I realize, okay, I am 34. I'm turning 35 later this year. And I see all these girls that are coming out playing so well at 18. Yes, that does make me feel a lot older. But I guess the so yeah, I can say both yes and no. I don't I don't feel old, and I guess that's a good thing. But yeah, when you start realizing how young these girls are, that's when I can kind of start calling myself a veteran, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm I'm five days older than you, so I'm if if you're old, then I'm old. I just want to <laughs> let you know where I'm coming from on that. But who I honestly don't even know the names. Who who would be on the list with you as far as being on the LPGA tour for ten straight years uh, or however many years it's been? Who who else who else is on that list? Uh, so I mean, I guess one that comes like straight to my mind that because she's one of my best friends out here, and we kind of started off traveling together our rookie years. Athahara Munoz from Spain. Uh, we, uh, we went through college uh, exactly the same four years. She graduated from Arizona State. We turned pro and came out on tour at the same time. Um, so, but you know, many other of the girls that we went to college with, they have been up here, but might not still be here. Uh, but yeah, she just came to mind because uh, uh, she's one of my best friends on tour. But then otherwise, when you when I hear the term veteran, like obviously I think of Christy Kerr or someone like that, but that's even like another decade uh, of play on tour that you would think of. But no, I mean, that's to just have 10 plus straight years out on tour. Like that's, that's a good career that you kind of have, have to remind yourself of every now and then. Well, and that's what we're, we build up to. I think it was, you know, your 250th career start. You were 95th in the world in the 2018 a Inspiration. I've kind of already spoiled where this ends, which is you win this golf <laughs> tournament. But your ninth year on tour and you have zero LPGA Tour wins to date. Was there anything different about that week going into it? And we're going to talk about how all that all unfolded, but... Did you honestly enter that week thinking about winning the tournament? I mean, I guess an honest answer is like, n no. It's obviously, I, I tee it up every week uh, and I'm still out here and playing because I, I know I have it in me to win. Now I have proven it, but back then, you know, I knew I had it. But if you had asked me at the start of the week, like, yes, of course, I would have said I'm there to win. But did I really, really believe it deep down? Mm, probably not. But at the same time, like things were really heading in a good direction with my game. Uh, but saying that golf is so funny. Two weeks before my win, we played in Phoenix and I almost finished dead last after two days. I mean, I missed the cut by so many shots. So, I mean, I mean, you see that and then you would say that this girl is going to go and win a major in two weeks time. No, like that's, 
but that's golf for you. Everyone who's out here on tour, I mean, they are here for a reason because they're really good golfers. Uh, and for me, I'd said my whole career that, you know, it was, I'd been improving each and every year. I kind of been climb, climbing up slowly on the money list each and every year. And I'd just been building and learning from so many experiences. And I did finish fourth at the tour championship. Um, well, probably would have been about four months before my win. And that was, that Sunday was the first time that I felt really comfortable in contention on Sunday afternoon. So I, like without that experience, I do not think I would have been as comfortable as I was coming down the stretch uh, four months later at the A&A. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I did, after I missed that cut in Phoenix, I had the two longest grinding sessions, both Saturday and Sunday on the range with my coach. Uh, like we, I don't know, we were there from morning till, till night for two straight days. And obviously already two weeks later that paid off. Wow. That's crazy. And, it, <laughs> and it's one thing too, to just, I don't know, I, I can't imagine, a sequence like this that would be more pressure to win the tournament. You are leading after round one. You are co-leader after round two. You are leading after round three. You're standing on the 18th tee, needing birdie to get into a playoff. You do it, and then you're in a playoff with what I would say is probably the best player of this of this generation, MB Park, the best major champion of the generation. And the, the playoff was pretty brief from what I understand, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you call uh, eight holes uh, with uh, also having to play, you know, an hour on Monday morning brief, sure. How do you possibly <laughs> sleep knowing that you have to wake up and play sudden death playoff? So I, that's, you're not the first one to ask me that question. And it actually really helped me that I had been leading the tournament already from thir Thursday. Because I got more and more comfortable for each and every night. You know, on Thursday night, I was probably more nervous than I was going to bed on Sunday. Uh, so that really helped me that I, I mean, that's kind of like, I got to practice what it felt like to sleep on the lead for a few nights in a row. Um, so that, um, uh, that helped me. And then also what, what I told myself, and I mean, every golfer does a lot of self-talk, but that particular week, I, for some reason, I actually seemed to listen to myself quite good. <laughs> and, uh, I, going into or going to to bed on sunday night i was like you know what i've done all the really hard work to get myself in this position i have nothing to lose now and i mean that's really the way it was because it was i mean it's pretty much a mat match play situation between me and imbi so that made me feel a lot more comfortable too well what what's it like to be hitting some of the biggest golf shots of your life in the dark like how much harder is it for your depth perception and reading greens i mean the third playoff hole it was it was dark darker than the cameras make it look i'm sure but of course the fourth was literally under floodlights like was there any point where you're like this is ridiculous let's just come back tomorrow morning i mean were you, did they make you keep playing i, I just want to know what that kind of you know the the biggest shots you're going to hit of your life and you're not able to use your full senses that's got to be maddening i was so in it that I didn't really even think about it. I, so after, and that, yeah, I know like now that sounds crazy. And I mean, I watch a lot of golf on TV and I will be sitting there saying, I can't believe they're playing, but I, they, the rules officials came over and asked me and Imbi after the third playoff hole, if we wanted to go back for a fourth, 
we, me and Imbi both kind of looked at each other and we both nodded and back we went. Because I think we were both just so in it that we wanted to win it right there and then uh, that we didn't even think about anything else. And it, it gets dark so quickly here in the desert, I feel like too, that, you know, when we're driving back to the tea, it was, and of course it was dark, but not pitch black, but by, it's a par five as well. So by the time we've laid up and now we're hitting wedges, like it's gotten a lot darker. So, but saying that, I I remember my birdie putt was probably about, I don't know, 25 feet or something. I was kind of like, please lag this up close to the hole. I mean, of course I would want to make it, but looking back at it all, I'm so happy that both Imbi and myself made par on that hole. Because otherwise, I feel like if one of us would have, you know, won it or lost it, like, would there have been discussions like they shouldn't have played, it wasn't fair, blah, blah, blah. So, like, now it's kind of just cool to look back at, but I'm kind of glad it wasn't decided in the dark, I guess. Does it matter in that moment that you're going up against MB Park? Is that any, like, you've, you're already dealing with all these other things that are going on. Does it change anything as to who you're going up against? Um, I think I, I more, more so remember walking out on Monday. So when we came back for the fifth playoff hall, I, I told myself, I'm like, this is Inby Park. She's not gonna mess up. So I better step up and do something good. That was kind of like, I feel like if it was a less experienced player, maybe I would have kind of hung back a little bit more and been like, oh, you know, I'll wait for her to make a mistake kind of attitude. But now I was like, no, this is Imbi. She's never making a mistake. <laughs> so that it almost freed me up in that aspect, which is, it seems weird to say, but that's how I felt. Or that's what I told myself at least. No, that's interesting. Uh, what did you know all the, all the perks that came with being a major champion at that time? I mean, you know what you're playing for, you know, you're, you know, uh, you know, you know how much of winning a major would mean to you, but did you, is there anything that maybe you didn't fully realize at the time or, or that some benefits you've received as being a major champion? I'm, you knew it was I'm a five sure. year exemption. I knew it was okay. five years. <laughs> I did. So it was, so obviously we haven't covered it here, but uh, my husband, Daniel caddies for me, he was, on my, on my bag that week and uh i think one of the i can't remember how soon it was after i won but it was pretty quickly he was kind of counting he's like five-year exemption five-year exemption into all majors he's like we're playing pebble beach in 2023 because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the women's us open yeah. is finally going to pebble beach in 23 so that was like we both started laughing we're like yes we're in we know it that's awesome I got a lot of questions about uh, your your husband being on your bag. Um, you know, we could we'll, we'll get to those. I think as, at a certain point here, but tell, I want to know more about the A and A inspiration and and what makes it what makes it special. What makes it a major? I, I've learned a little bit about the history from it, um, but wondering you know kind of what 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 it means to you. Uh, before let's let's uh, go to a time before you had won it. I, we know what it means to you now, but you know what gets players really hyped up? Is it you know, that it's a larger purse this week? Is it the five-year exemption? What, what what gets, you know, players really, really excited about tournaments in particular on the LPGA Tour? Yeah, I think the ANA inspiration is unique on the LPGA Tour because it's it has the history and the venue where it's been played on the same course for so long. You know, we don't have, we don't have Augusta. Uh, the guys, you know, go back to the, the Masters um, 
every year and you remember watching it on TV every year. I mean, this is as close as we get to having that kind of tradition where we actually play the same venue uh, year after year. So that's obviously in kind of the traditions that have come with that, which obviously the, the one that stands out is the leap into Poppy's Pond uh, on, on 18. So, you know, that's what makes this one special because um, we don't really have that uh, in, in any of other, uh, our other events. Uh, and then it's, it's always, everyone is going to say like, oh, of course it's your favorite course on tour. But actually, even before I'd won, and you know, that's the question that I always get in a pro-am every week. What's your favorite uh, course to play? And I always said uh, Mission Hills uh, was one of, one of my favorite courses. And it's just an amazing condition this time of the year when we, when we are uh, in the desert. It's overseeded, it's lush, rough, the greens are fantastic, and it's just uh, really fit my eye well since the first time I played here. So I, yeah, people are like, yeah, sure, it's easy to say it's that one, but no, it's always uh, uh, been one of my favorites even before I won. No, I think that effectively answers the question. Is it <laughs> is it weird for, I don't know if weird is the right word, but for professional LPGA players, this now the Augusta National Women's Amateur that is being held held at Augusta the weekend of the ANA the two years that it's been held has been the weekend of the ANA is it a little weird to you guys that this this prestigious new amateur women's event is being held opposite a major for you guys? Yes, I absolutely. So. <laughs> I mean, it's it kind of I mean it does feel like it's uh, kind of rubs the wrong way a little bit where it's. I mean, okay, I understand it's the lead up to uh, the Masters, but like, yeah, it just it just feels wrong. Like they, of course, Augusta are finally doing something for women's golf, but did they really have to do it up against uh, our first uh, major of the year where usually we have the top amateurs being invited and playing in this field? And now those amateurs have to make the decision if they want to play in a, a prestigious major or if they want to go and play at Augusta and that doesn't seem fair either so yeah it's uh I mean it is really cool that the event is there but yes it does feel a little wrong that it's on the weekend of our first major I mean even just for media coverage sake it's uh takes takes away from both events <laughs> yeah i remember when it was announced and i was like oh wow this is awesome that's so cool a women's amateur event at augusta everyone's gonna want to watch this and then i saw i forget what lpga player <laughs> tweeted it like um when, when do we get to play augusta and yeah I was like, oh, exactly. it was just a gut punch and i probably should have gotten to that conclusion on my own but it was just it really made me think and i've got some i got some ideas to propose to you in relation to a question i'll have for you later about uh, about the women's game and and some things that the men's game can help with, but yeah, I just I, it just kind of bothered me as I realized it was coming to a head again this this coming weekend that you know one of your guys' biggest weekends of the year uh, the the spotlight gets gets taken a little bit from you. But um, so tell I, I I can't glance past Poppy's Pond. That is the, the iconic you know thing about A and A inspiration. What did you know your husband was gonna do like a full on dive into Poppy's Pond? Is that deep enough? Like, didn't somebody get really injured one of the years uh, jumping into Poppy's Pond? Did you know about that? Yeah, I so yes, Stacy Lewis' mom broke her foot, I believe, 
jumping into Poppy's Pond? Uh, so the answer is no, it's not very deep. And when you stand on so the 18th green, uh, so with the side where we jump in from, there are signs where it says no diving. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's actually a funny story. So going back to me actually sleeping really well going into the Monday playoff, apparently Daniel didn't sleep so well. He, I think he said he woke up at two or three in the morning and he didn't want to wake me up. So he went into the bathroom in our hotel room and just sat on the floor on his laptop to like kill some time. And uh, he started, he was Googling like, jumps into Poppy's Pond. And then he realized that no one had ever uh, dove into Poppy's Pond. And then as soon as he kind of realized that, he was like, oh my God, I can't be looking at this. I'm jinxing, jinxing us. And then like shut the laptop. So that's when the idea kind of was, came up in his mind. And he said, um, as a kid, they used to go on um, vacations all the time to Florida. And he said he would always, as a kid, be diving into the pool and the pools might be shallow. So he learned how to shallow it out pretty quickly. So he's like, I had done this so many time as, times as a kid. I didn't know what I was practicing for, but this is my moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, this is your moment to shine. Because we obviously the, the playoff finished on the 10th hole on Monday morning. So then they drove us back to the 18th uh, for... Um, uh, to do the the leap into Poppy's Pond. And in the in the golf cart, Daniel asked me, he's like, so what are we doing? I was like, I, I don't care. I'm just so excited. I'm just jumping. Like, I have no plan. And he's like, okay, I got a plan. I'm diving. I was like, okay, yeah, you, I'm not following you. <laughs> so, yeah, when you, when you actually watch it, you can see. So my parents were there that week too, which made it so much more special and they were already back up by the 18th green by the time we got there they had taken their shoes off like i hadn't even asked them if they were jumping in with me but they stood there with like they have taken their shoes off they were ready to jump so i grabbed i grabbed on to mom's hand and dad's hand and we kind of ran together and then obviously we couldn't hold on to daniel's hand because he he needed a lot more speed and uh, height to be able to do his dive that's awesome. No, that is that is one of the one of the highlights and the one of the iconic uh, moments from uh, the A and A. But how did you meet your fiance or your husband? Now, I, I, I it was your fiance at the time at the A and A, and you've since been married. But how did you guys meet? Was he your caddy beforehand? Did I, I need to hear the kind of that story and how that worked out? Yeah. So Daniel is from England, but played college golf in the U.S. as well. Uh, he played at Southeastern Louisiana. And then after he graduated there, he didn't really know what to do. He didn't want to pursue professional golf. Uh, and his parents were actually living in Orlando at the time. And they lived in a neighborhood with a lot of golfers. Um, and he, Daniel got to know um, Terry Mundy, who caddies quite a lot for Ian Poulter. And Terry's wife played on the LPGA tour at the time. Uh, Sam um, is, or Joe, sorry, they're twins. Joe Head, uh, Joe Mundy now. She played on tour and she asked Daniel if um, he could come out and caddy for her. So he started to caddy on the LPGA tour for her in 2009. And so that was a year before I came out on tour with still had never met and then at the end of 2009 when I was playing Q school 
as I mentioned before, I went to LPGA Q School. I also went to European Tour Q School uh, at the end of 2009, just to get my card, tried to get my card in both places. So we actually met at the European Tour Q School over in Spain. Uh, and we met in the gym that week and it was at, it's a place called La Manga in Spain and it's, uh, it has a really big kind of um, football or soccer academy as well. And I think one of the English Premier League teams where they're practicing at the, at the same time. So Daniel likes to tell this story now. He's like, oh, Pranilla probably thought that I was a footballer and that's why she like hit on me, <laughs> which wasn't never the case. But yeah, and then we got paired together uh, in the last round of uh, European Tour Q School. I got my card and Daniel was asking me that day, he's like, so do you have a caddy lined up for next year? Because uh, he knew I'd gotten my LPJ card as well. And I said, no, not yet. I have a few like people in mind. I said, I'll, I'll kind of add you to the list. Let's stay in touch. Uh, I got recommended uh, a different caddy. It was actually Annika who recommended me a different caddy. And you know, when Annika says something, you kind of listen. So uh, I messaged Daniel and said, sorry, like I have decided to go in a different direction when it comes to caddy, but we kept in touch. Uh, and about six months later, we were kind of officially dating. So that was during my rookie year on tour. And all my friends kept saying, oh, that's awesome that your boyfriend is a caddy, then he can work for you. And my immediate answer was, no way, that's never going to happen. That's way too much time together. And yeah, now it's like 10 plus years later and we have worked together for eight out of these 10 years. Oh, wow. That's what, cause it, that doesn't seem to be common. I, I, I know that uh, I'm probably don't even know the full list, but I know like Jane Park's husband caddies for uh, area Jatana Garn and then Madeline's boyfriend caddies for Carolyn Headwall. Like I, there's, there's, you know, there's not a lot of, correct me if I'm wrong, there's not a lot of couples in the direct caddy player relationship. And I think everyone that's in a relationship can, uh, can understand the reasons why that would necessarily not be the case, but how is, why has that worked so well for you guys? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's for sure not for everyone. That's what I always says. Uh, and we have, we have had a couple of breaks in these eight years, not break as like relationship, just player caddy break. Uh, and, and it just really comes down to what are you going to talk about at the end of the day? You spend so much time together, but I think we both have kind of matured into that role where it's like, you know what? It is okay if it's silent on the golf course every now and then, because like we can't come up with something new to talk about and that's fine. Uh, but we both just know that it works so well and when, when it works well. And yes, it's, it's tough when it, when I'm not playing well, like, Oh, I, says th I say things to him that I would not say to another caddy. He probably says things to me that he wouldn't say to another player. But at the end of the day, when we leave the golf course, you leave that behind and we're back to being wife and husband. And we're both good at kind of letting go of that. We probably need sometimes like 30 minutes when you leave the course to, you know, not really talk to each other and then everything is fine. Sure. No, that's a, that's a great, great answer. How, so after, after winning the ANA, I mean, what did that, what did that do for you? Did that change your expectations as a player? Did, you know, having some status locked up for multiple years change your process in any way? I'm kind of wondering what, what, uh, what was kind of the, the, the follow-up after the ANA? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like it changed my, 
process in any way. Like I, I've always tend to play a lot of tournaments because that's what I love doing. But and like you know, it's not like I said, okay, I'm gonna cut down on my schedule or anything like that. But expectations was the big thing. Um, I just expectations on myself, and I just I didn't play good for a long time after. I had I followed it up with. Like, I think I had a top 10 like two weeks later, and then I didn't have a top 10 for probably a year and a half, uh, even maybe even longer. So the expectations on myself was, was hard. And, you know, I, since I was a little girl, my dream, like if someone asked me, like, what's your dream scenario? I would say to win a major championship. I mean, that's like the biggest thing I could come up with. And then suddenly I take that off the list without like all these like, things that I thought I was going to do on the way to that major championship, which would have been like win a regular event first or whatever. And then, yeah, I crossed that off the list and you, you kind of feel like empty in a way where, I mean, like, obviously I'm extremely happy and everything, but as like, when it comes to goals and processes, it's like, you know what, like what, what's next? Yes. Of course I want to win one more major, but it's, it's like hard to, to really it was hard for me to wrap my head around how to I shouldn't say like not to feel as driven either because I've felt really driven always I I am but yeah that that was different and it was probably not really until kind of the forced break in 2020 due to COVID that I finally like landed in everything and got like good perspective on things and been playing better since that break no that actually makes a lot of sense i i think it you know you you probably thought yeah there was going to be a longer process to winning the major and you kind of bypassed a lot of things along the way and then you're kind of look wondering looking at yourself in the mirror saying hey i'm a major champion now like you know it doesn't mean you skip practice or anything like that (laughs) but it changes like what your expectations probably are in terms of you know, what realistic goals there are to set. And uh, no, I, I think that and I, I've, you're not the first player either to kind of lock up some status and, and not play your best golf after that. The whole time, no, you're, totally. your whole career, you're, you know, you're battling for your status every year. It's something, a really underrated thing that professionals have to do every single year is fight for their, their playing lives. And I, I totally can, can, can understand that completely. I was, when I was reading an article, I think it just went up on golf channel today about how it said like, Oh, I, t- I accepted every media request and all these things. And I was like, Oh man, now I feel bad for nailing her down for a podcast <laughs> the week of the A&A, but I'm sure you get a lot of requests come, uh, come A&A week. I, I do. But when you reached out, I'm such a big fan of you and you guys. So, uh, of course I wanted to make time for you. So no, th- this one, uh, I, I for sure made time for, but no, that, yeah, the hard thing was, you know, it's like when it came to setting goals, okay. The, the only thing that sounded like I should be saying would be to win another major, but it took me freaking nine years to win the first one. Like, so, and like, I should probably say like, yes, win another tournament, but then it sounded like I kind of took a step back. So yeah, that was uh, kind of the, the, what I was uh, battling with there. No, that makes a lot of sense. That really does. So there's been a lot of discussion in golf lately, I think, about, um, you know, just equality and income equality and and a lot of things, you know, coverage for the women's game, media coverage, all these things. I'm curious and I think I'm wondering what you think are some things that the women's game needs the men's game help on. Right. And And that may be a weird way of saying it, but. 
I'm wondering if you feel like the men, you know, the PGA Tour or European Tour, anyone maybe has a, uh, not a, I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but kind of like, you know, if you could put your hand up and say, guys, we'd love some help with this, 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 and this. Here's some ways you could help us. And I got some ideas, but I'm wondering if you've ever thought of, uh, of you know, a way that the, the, the men's tours might be able to help the, the women's tours at least a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I if I like, I could probably come up with for sure some better better ideas. I've never put that much time into thinking about it, but I know I've said in the past, like I would love for the guys just you know every now and then to just kind of speak up a little bit more on our behalf. You know, I just loved such a simple thing as last week when Michelle Wee West, I guess I should say now, yeah, um, made her debut back on the LPGA tour, and I saw Justin Thomas did a social media post. I know they're good friends. And, you know, he said how excited he was to see that Michelle was back playing. I was like, you have no idea how much that means for us on the LPGA tour to see that one of the guys tune in and, you know, say something like that. Uh, you know, just little social media posts. Whenever the guys have kind of mentioned something about us, we need more of that. I mean, that's that should be a pretty simple thing uh, just for because their voices, they, uh, they they carry a lot of weight. So, you know, if they say that they're excited to tune in, uh, that, uh, um, that should, should hopefully uh, make a lot of the, the general fans uh, pay attention as well. And then obviously the other one that I know has been talked about a lot is trying to get some kind of joint event, team event, mixed event, you know, something like that. Uh, and hopefully if something like that took place, a lot of good things could kind of trickle down from that as well. But I would love to hear what your ideas are. Well, mixed events was one of them. And I, I was dreaming a little bigger than uh, than uh, than just, you know, having players do social media posts about it. But that's that's know, extremely but that's, interesting. No, that really is. Like that's, that would just be a good start. That's simple. That's extremely simple. You're exactly right. And I think that – I just think golf can work – I know the LPGA Tour and the PGA Tour are separate entities, but they have a relationship. The PGA Tour does some negotiating on their behalf for television deals and, you know, the through the relationship with NBC and Golf Channel, there's, you know, weaving in and out of PGA Tour golf into LPGA Tour golf and there's a lot of overlap there that I we I forget who who said it somewhat recently and I just hadn't really ever thought of it as simply as this, but a women's players championship at TPC Sawgrass would be very, very, very interesting. Golf fans would love to watch TPC Sawgrass for another week. And I just think that would be such a cool, it doesn't have to be a crossover. It can be different weeks, but you know, something along the lines of the, you know, the A and W A being right before the masters. Like what if there was either the week before or a week after the players championship, like a women's players championship that that's, that's an idea that I haven't heard circulated a lot until somewhat recently. And I thought that would be, a great one. Then the obvious one is a women's masters at Augusta national. I mean, exactly. I mean that one we've all heard before, but yeah, I mean, if, if you're saying there's a women's uh, uh, players championship, sign me up. I'll be there. Absolutely. We, I mean, we on the LPJ tour, we're used to working a lot harder than the guys on the PJ tour for everything, you know, for sponsorships, for just the, the tiniest bit of TV window, whatever it is. Uh, so if we can, you know, just get to tag along there for uh, for a little bit. That that uh, that would mean a lot to us. I, I, um, I should have looked this up. Did you play the um the the event in Australia that was the the simultaneous men's and women event? Yes. Yeah. What yeah, was that Vic, like? The Vic, the Vic Open. Yes. It was really cool. It, it was really cool. I I even played it actually. I probably played it three or four times. So even 
before it was co-sanctioned with the LPGA Tour. It was just co-sanctioned with the latest European Tour, but I still went down and played it as a lead up to the Australian Open. And it's a fun event. It's really cool. Even the practice rounds, you know, we played mixed. I would go out in a practice round and maybe play with two guys or... Uh, uh, in in the final groups there on on Sunday, it's every other group is guys and girls, um, and it's a cool atmosphere. It's a it, it works. You need two courses probably to do it, but I mean the other one where we proved that was a cool concept was the U.S. Women's Open in 2014 at Pinehurst. Yes, I think they for sure did much better than what I thought. Uh, what's going to happen because we went the second week i was worried why are we going the second week is the course going to be beat up uh and all those things but same thing like it takes a certain course but the way pinehurst was playing uh, i mean we could barely see divots from the guys it was fantastic so you know we would and i it was really good for you know our viewing numbers and people tuning in so any i mean something like that again would really help as well yeah i, I think i remember watching the vic open and it was i i we don't need to talk too much about golf television coverage but i'm it, it takes a it it takes a lot of things working in your favor for the TV to be really interesting, right? You need, you know, some big names help, uh, some close action at the top it helps, right? And there, you know, you, you have somebody win by four shots on, on just an okay golf course in an okay field. It's not that interesting. But if you have double the tournament going on, a men's and women's tournament going on at the same time on the same course, it's a lot to keep track of. But I remember watching that and just being like, this pacing and this entertainment is like you you have double the chance of some excitement, right? You have two different storylines going on at the same time. And I just found that I, I know that, I, you know, there, I, I can understand probably a lot of the, the reasons why it doesn't happen more frequently. But at the same time, some experimenting in that regard, I think, you know, it would benefit it could benefit both games. And that's just that's just where I'm at with, you know, wondering if there's a, a more chances for synergy and overlap here uh, than are being taken advantage of, you know currently because yeah it just that's kind of haunting haunting i don't know if haunting is the right word what you said about having just the tour pros tweet about it like gosh what an easy thing to just like help i, help I know that that's great though that's great feedback yeah i mean that's like i mean like i said that's that sounds so little but that still just means a lot and uh, i think i don't know if you paid attention to uh, the schedules this yeah. summer but there is going to be uh, the same concept as the vic open over in northern ireland this summer uh with the men's european tour and the lpga and the uh, lpga co-sanctioned with the latest european tour so that should be another cool week yeah i'm excited to see that have you it, it seems like you know you've been around the lpga tour for for longer than you know i've been in the podcast game and i, I honestly don't have much of a memory of the lpga tour before mike Juan. i just i didn't i didn't do this as a job before then and he's recently announced he's stepping down as commissioner but what how would you describe watching the lpga tour evolve uh, during his tenure there, because I feel like there has been a ton of things to celebrate growth-wise in the women's game, the the race to the CME Globe, you know, the purse rises in the U.S. Women's Open, and a million other things, and how many different countries the LPGA Tour is being broadcast in, and you know, just overall purse increase during his tenure. But uh, I, I maybe I just I hit all the highlights. But how would you describe his time uh, as as LPGA commissioner? You, you pretty much did the, okay. did the sum it all up. But no, it's it's funny, Mike and myself. We have uh, kind of joked my whole career that we were rookies together in 2010 because that was his first year on tour as well. So I have personally never been on tour uh, under a different commissioner. 
but I've been with uh, with Mike from the day he started. And, uh, you know, when I came out as a rookie in 2010, I got my full card at Q School, and I think I might have gotten into 12 tournaments. Uh, that just says a lot about our schedule at the time. It was very weak. I was lucky that I also had my my full uh, status on the European tour because I could at least kind of fill out my schedule. Uh, but it was a lot of going back and forth. But at least I uh, I got to play more than just 12 events. That's that's hard, you know, going coming out the first uh, first year on tour to keep any kind of momentum or, or make money for that uh, matter. Uh, so, I mean, to see what we've grown from the very slim schedule that we had in uh, 2010 to where we are now, I, I mean, I just love everything that Mike has done for the tour and um, something that we haven't talked about, but I, this is my third year now as a player director on the LPGA board. And the uh, the main reason that I wanted to to do that and be part of the board was to be closer to Mike to kind of pick his brain and see what it is that he's doing kind of behind the scenes to to actually or have done to be able to done what he's done over the last ten years. Yeah, no, that's great. It it seems like. The LPGA, the the pro am scene is really really fun. From from the every time I've gotten a chance to you know experience it, it seems like the women really embrace that process. And honestly, on the men's tour, it feels much more like a formality. But I, I'm wondering where that comes from. Does that come from the top down? I mean, I know uh, it seems to me that the tour does such a great job, or the players do such a great job of appreciating where their sponsorship comes from and whatnot. But is that something that you know you've experienced for your entire the entirety of your LPGA career? Yeah, it, it it really is something that I think I when I kind of mentioned before that I feel like the all the women on the LPGA tour we we know we have to work harder for for everything. I mean that's 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 kind of what it comes down to. You know, a pro am day we know how important that day is. Like we have been told since the day we come out on tour that that's the most important day of the week. I mean, without that day we don't have a sponsor. Without a sponsor we we're not getting a check on Sunday. So, you know, we have kind of had that ingrained in us from the day we came out. And that's really come, like you said, from the top. You know, Mike, his big thing was kind of this, did this like role reversal when he came out, where it was like, okay, who's paying the check this week? And really getting us players to understand who's paying the check and why they are doing it. And how can we help them get what they want out of the week? And that really, you know, what that really comes down to, what can we help with really Monday through Wednesday? Because then, yes, Thursday through Sunday, we focus on the tournament. But if we can help out with things Monday through Wednesday to make the sponsor happy, we will do it. Hmm. Yep. No, it's that that has shined through every time I've had a chance to to be a part of one of those things. But uh, a couple more things I want to cover, then I've got to let you loose because it is a major championship <laughs> week. But we got to talk about the Olympics. What was your experience like in Rio? Um, and I'm just wondering if if you see a difference in how uh, Americans value the Olympics than maybe Swedes do. I, that seems to be uh, a, a trend I see from people that are from outside of the United States that they don't understand how American golfers maybe skip either men's or women's side would skip the skip the Olympics. But just that's a lot of questions in one. But tell me about your experience in Rio. Yeah, Rio was it was really cool. I you know I, once you stepped up on the golf course and played your seventy two hole stroke play event, yes, that was really like any other golf tournament. 
which is a different topic because I would have maybe loved to see a different format yes, or yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> but I mean yes that was still really cool uh, but it was just everything around it. I mean, staying in the Olympic Village, being able to go and watch other sports. I mean, that's, I had never been to an Olympic uh, Games as a spectator. And now I got to be there as an athlete and, you know, kind of walk inside the ropes, uh, you know, at other events as well. Um, so uh, that was, uh, that was fantastic. Just sitting in the kind of dining hall in the Olympic Village and seeing, Simone Biles walk past the next thing, you know, Usain Bolt walks past like that's uh, I mean, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. So that was uh, that was fantastic. I went to some track and field events. That was fun. Went and watched some other sports, too. Um, and uh, in one way, like Rio, if it would have been maybe somewhere else, like we could have moved around even more so. But as we all know, Rio is not the safest place. So you know, it was uh, hard to maybe move around completely freely and as much as uh, you would have uh, in other places. So, um, uh, but still, I got to to still experience uh, it all. And that's something, you know, to be able to always call myself an Olympian, that's, uh, that's something that growing up, obviously, I didn't think I would ever be able to unless I had stuck with skiing, then that would have been a, been a big deal. But then, yeah, the second part there, I still think, yeah, the Olympics, I don't know, because Americans in general care so much about the Olympics. I right. mean, just watching the the coverage of, you know, NBC who has the Olympic rights. I mean, they covered the Olympics so heavily. So you would think Americans are really invested. But I really think it just comes down to, I think I listened to one of your podcasts recently and someone was saying how, you know, they didn't grow up watching themselves as an Olympian as a golfer kind of and I that's what I think it comes down to so I think now kids growing up and being able to see that oh as a golfer you can get a gold medal uh, that for them it would probably be even more special and I think maybe other countries smaller countries probably feel that obligation to give back maybe to their countries and be like you know of course I'm going to go and represent so that that younger generation at home can look up to me and I can hopefully bring home a medal to them. I don't know, something in that mindset. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, we're <laughs> going to get you out of here on this. Uh, I want to hear about playing in the Men's New Zealand Open and uh, in your guys' special relationship you have with New Zealand. Yes, oh, that was, oh, that was for sure my 2020 highlight because little did I know that I would fly home from New Zealand and then the world kind of shut down. So... Uh, yeah, so what happened there was I I was going to Australia to play two events in, what's that, in, oh, beginning of February. And then I was going to have two weeks off and then play in China. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense to go to Australia, go back home to Florida, then go to China for a week. So me and my husband, we love New Zealand. Uh, we have traveled there quite a few times and we love it so much that that's where we actually got married uh in 2019 we got married on a mountaintop in new zealand um and uh we figured let's go back to new zealand for those two weeks off um so we mentioned that to there's actually um a guy he he caddies uh mostly on the pga tour but he happened to be out uh on an lpga event in January, a few weeks before we were going to New Zealand. 
and we mentioned to him that, that hey we're going to new zealand for these two weeks off and he said oh that's this that's when the new zealand open is on uh, i know the guys running the new zealand open do you think you would want to play and i knew that it was a pro-am format similar to you know pebble beach over here so when he said do you think you would want to play i assumed he meant as an amateur so he re but i didn't know that i just assumed that and then he reached out to you know the the tournament director and kind of said that i was going to new zealand and it was i just around our uh, first wedding anniversary and they thought that was that you know it was a cool idea so they invited me to play and that's when i found out that no they wanted me to play in the the, the field with the pros which meant meeting it up with the guys of the of the back tees uh so which i kind of maybe wish i had a little bit more lead up to and get ready for but i i had the most fun week and so i had an amateur partner uh with me as well that week and uh, i don't know if you know anything about rugby or the all blacks mm -hmm. but uh, my my amateur partner was an all black uh Bowden barrett one of their best uh, rugby players in new zealand so i mean we had a, a crowd out there watching us i i mean just for <laughs> because of him but also people who obviously wanted to to watch me tee it up but i had a little bit of a rough uh, start there was a couple of par fours at the early on that I couldn't reach into. <laughs> uh, but I, I came back and had a good uh, second round. I didn't make the cut, but I beat the, the other pro that I played with in the second round. And I beat a few guys uh, at least after two rounds. And, but it was just the most fun week. And uh, I would love to go back to New Zealand sometime soon. But uh, with what's happening in the world, uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon, unfortunately. Did I see pictures on your Instagram of you at Jack's Point in Queenstown? Yes. Yeah, that place is yeah. awesome. Uh, I yeah. So we were we got married in Queenstown. So we've been there a few times, and yeah, they have some fantastic golf courses there. But Jack's Point, just for the views, it's probably the prettiest golf course that you can imagine. What's the what's the uh, is it Ferg Burger the the burger place in Queenstown? Have you done the hour long wait for that? Uh, I, I should probably be embarrassed to say that I never have, but the line is just too long. It's insane. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. It's a, it's a totally fine burger, but probably not worth the hour long wait, but, uh, well, Pernilla, there's plenty of other good food there. So exactly. Well, thanks so much for spending almost an hour with us, uh, during a major championship week. We'll let you get back to your preparations and whatnot. Best of luck this week. And, uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and would love to be back anytime. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Johnny, yeah. that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.